What's up, y'all? I got a dance deal for you, Chicago. Hubbard Street Dance heats up the Harris Theater stage with its spring series of joy next week. Now, this is some of the most dynamic, cutting-edge contemporary dance made by the world's leading choreographers right here in Chicago. I'm excited for Echoes of Our Ancestors by Maria Torres, among other creators. But you can only catch it for three performances between May 17th and May 19th. Luckily, CityCast Chicago listeners can get tickets in any section for 20% off using code CityCast online or over the phone. Visit HubbardStreetDance.com for details and use code CityCast. Today on CityCast Chicago, our mayoral candidates had their first televised debate, organizers protest a million-dollar soccer facility, and Joe Fresh Goods is getting West Side students fly. I'm joined by the CEO of Justice Informed, Xavier Ramey, from Crane Chicago, Corley J. It's Friday, March 10th. I'm Jacoby Cochran, and this is What Chicago's Talking About. Where is that coming from? Hold on. Let me pause and get Alexa. That's Alexa. I thought so. that was a preacher in the background. <laughs> hey. Alexa, stop. Am I unmuted? Yes. Okay, what I was saying is what we're not going to do is clap back. I can dish it out. I can't take it. <laughs> I'm very soft. I'm soft. This is all of the resiliency of my blackness is cosmetic. It's just all cosmetic. This is, this is an aesthetic I wear. <laughs> There's nothing underneath this. (laughs) Let's jump into this, y'all. Good morning, Xavier. Good morning, Corley. How y'all feeling today? Good morning. I'm feeling good. Thanks for having me. Oh, man, I'm feeling how I look on radio. I'm just going to let people know I, I feel good. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> for people who are uh not new to city cash chicago you may be familiar with both corley and xavier's voice but if you're not familiar and you're new to our show every friday we like to break down some key stories from the week uh with some of our favorite friends but before we jump into the news i want to make sure we get everybody you know settled in uh earlier this week we had a conversation with monica ang and david hammett about a new book they have written about the 30 best hometown bites the 30 best chicago foods so i gotta ask Corley, starting with you, what's your go-to Chicago food? Uh, this is tough. Uh, I would have to go with the pizza puff covered in uh, mild sauce. Come on, I'm with you. Especially from uh, Nick's on 79th and Ashland. They got the best. I don't care what nobody say. That is the go-to spot. And pizza puff is where it's at. I was going to say uh, Italian beef, you know, extra dipped with the <laughs> like nacho cheese on mine. But I like that. I think okay. I had Pizza Hut. I mean, uh, Pizza Puffs before that. No, I agree. The the Pizza Puff G. I, I said it earlier this week, or wrote it, or something. It's just it don't matter if you get it from Harold's. It don't matter if you get it from Sharks, or if you get it from a Knicks. Is is really hard to mess it up. And that shout out to the original creators, El Taco and them. They've been doing that thing consistent. Mm-hmm. It, pretty much wherever you buy a pizza puff in Chicago, it's probably coming from El Taco. Uh, and so it's consistent. It's hard to mess it up. Uh, and with a little lemon pepper, mm-hmm. a little mouth sauce, you know, over some fries, you, you got me. You got me. I know I'm going to probably have to stop eating them at some point, but not yet. I ain't never tried a lemon pepper on mine. My, on my, I'm going to try that next time. That's not on fire. Yeah, I've not tried that. All right, come on. I'll put y'all on then. We have we, we already <laughs> off to a good start. Yeah. Xavier, I saw a lot of thoughts running through your head when I asked that question. What's your go-to food? 
I know. And it's because because Corley just jumped off and she 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 brought a real intersectional lens to this because the pizza puff is not known north of Roosevelt for the most part. Yeah, not not a lot of people hip to it. It's a South and West Side joint. I grew up on those things mm-hmm. with some mild sauce on them um, growing up in, in Garford Park in Lawndale. Um, for that reason, I am switching my vote away from the extra wet dipped Italian beef over to the steak fries. Come on now. The steak fries. Mm. Yes. When you dice, dice up that carne asada, you get mm. that steak just nice and tender mm. and you drop it on top of some fries. You cover that thing with some cheese. Mm. You cover that thing with some sauce. You put some scallions on it if you want to be fancy. You dish it up, put it in some nice styrofoam packaging. You sell that thing for $6.99 through some bulletproof glass. <laughs> that's Chicago, man. That's Chicago <laughs> right there. Bro, if y'all don't know Xavier, that boy can talk, G. That boy that's can Chicago. Talk. That's, that's my he just sold me on steak fries at 11 in the morning. <laughs> Listen, two in the morning, two in the afternoon, steak fries. It could be dinner. It could be breakfast. You put an egg on it. You can eat it a la carte. It is what it is. You ain't never going to pay more than $8 for it. Come on now. This is for the recession. <laughs> Let's get this thing started. Every Friday, we got to break down the stories uh, that Chicagoans were thinking about, but also the ones that maybe weren't on their radar. This Wednesday, we had our first mayoral runoff debate. The candidates, Paul Vallis on one side, Commissioner Brandon Johnson on the other. Xavier, jump in here. What were your thoughts watching that NBC Live televised debate? Yeah, first, um, uh, I want to just give a shout out to both the candidates for um, uh, really you know, owning the lanes that they're trying to own. Uh, but also, I want to just point out the differences between these two candidates. It was so clear to me, the difference between these two candidates. Um, I thought that the approach that Brandon Johnson took was one where he was both talking about his different platforms. You go to his website, you'll see he has um, many, many different issues, seven, eight, nine different issues that the city is facing with, yeah, with, with his articulation of what the vision is. Public safety plan, investment plan, youth workshops. Um, Vilas is very much like this is about public safety. Um, he has a, a tell us your public safety story button on his website, right? He's trying to get people to realize that crime and, and, and public safety are the big issues. That was really front and center at the debate. Um, the first, I felt like the first quarter of the entire debate and then laced into all of the different answers, even from the questions, the way in which the questions were being asked of them, it, it stayed on the top of public safety. And I think um, what I saw was Vallis really uh, focusing the question of public safety on the question of police, police presence, police safety, police support, these sorts of things. Whereas Brandon Johnson was talking more broadly about what safety is beyond security. Police are security. Safety happens because of the equitable distribution of resources. And Brandon was talking a lot about those sort of root cause points that create the, the felt experience experience of a lack of safety, whether it was the question around the mag mile and how will you get the mag mile going back again, given that people don't feel safe or the CTA, mm-hmm. or whether you're talking about small businesses on the South or West side, this was really where we got to see what do these two candidates think about public safety. And my big takeaway was um, Paul Vallis very much sees the conversation of public safety as being about police, whereas Brandon Johnson is looking at this more intersectionally. And I think for that reason, to some viewers, he may have seen a little scat, seemed a little scattered. And that's because he was saying this is all connected. And I can't answer how that connection exists across all these issues in 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that he didn't seem as strong sometimes, but he did seem more comprehensive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, f- I found both candidates um, at times to be, like you said, a 
like really strong, emblematic, yeah. very strong representatives of the lane they're trying to own, as you explain. Throughout Paul Vallis's response, he centers many of those, whether it's affordable housing, whether it's CTA, whether it's the Mag Mile, whether it's uh, sort of investment in schools. He centers public safety and police in those conversations. And at times I did find Brandon Johnson to be scattered because he was trying to do a lot of things. He was trying to go on the offense against his opponent. He's trying to share his story, knowing that a few weeks ago, maybe many of the people watching this didn't know who he was. Yeah. Corley, as you watched last night, did you learn anything about either of these candidates that you didn't know already? No. And I think that's where I was kind of like underwhelmed because I understand what you're saying about Brandon Johnson kind of kind of trying to reintroduce himself because people didn't know him. But as a person that actually, you know, has done research and know, know him and heard him speak, I was kind of annoyed with him kind of uh-huh. uh, repeating the same talking points of him being on the West Side and having 10 brothers and sisters, you know, and uh, I really didn't um, appreciate him kind of going at Paul Vallis the way he did. I want him to answer the questions more about what he was going to do instead of what Paul Vallis didn't do or what he did to kind of make things worse. I, I did learn that, you know, uh, you know, $2.5 billion yeah. uh, pension hole that we're in had a lot to do with the, the 90s policies. I agree. At times, I, I, I felt that that both mm-hmm. both struggled with how to use repetition in a way that didn't feel um, as if they were avoiding the answers. And, and because a lot of us have been paying attention, yeah. um, we had heard a lot of these answers before. And I don't think we got anything new out of either candidate. But with, you know, four weeks to go, you know. Uh, it seems like both are really just sort of doubling down on the platforms that they have put forth to this point. Yeah. Can I, I, I want to add just one thing. So I, I did learn a, a couple of new things I will say, and I, you know, just, just um, in transparency, I am in, you know, someone who supports Brandon Johnson. Um, you know, I do a lot of work around diversity, equity, inclusion, social justice and, and organizational design. And, and much of the things that Paul Ballas is talking about is just going to make my life harder. It's going to make the lives of my clients and my family on the South and West side harder. Um, uh, but that said, uh, it was interesting when they got, for instance, to the NFL question, uh, and they asked, you know, what would you do? You know, the, 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 the Chicago bears are talking about moving to Arlington Heights. Uh, what would you do? Vallis was like straight up. I'm not giving subsidies to Chicago bears. It sounded basically like Vallis was like, I mean, good riddance. Um, and then when Brandon Johnson actually said, look, the first thing I want to do is call the head of the bears in to say, Hey, is there anything we can talk about? Um, and he acknowledged, he's like, I'm also not in this for subsidies, but as mayor, I am here to make a deal. I am here to deal, to negotiate yeah. from Brand. I wasn't expecting him to say, hey, I'm going to go on the offense and start negotiating uh, with the Bears. Uh, I want my son to see a Super Bowl. I want, you know, the Super Bowl shuffle to stay in Chicago. Um, and so I was like, okay, from the business standpoint, okay, all right, all right. I haven't heard much from Brandon on that. I'm I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. We we shall see. People say that Brandon is here just with CTU, just like they say that 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 Vallis is here just for the FOP and the Fraternal Order of Police. And so hearing Brandon jump out of the conversation around education and negotiations over to business, over to recreation, over to taxation, these sorts of things, public space, that's where I was like, okay, I like seeing that he has some vision and some 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 chutzpah in that yeah. uh, I'm hoping he doubles down on that and gets even um, more comprehensive in his responses about how he's going to support the business infrastructure uh, broadly of Chicago, including some of these big projects like a Chicago Fire Stadium or like the Chicago Bears, these sorts of things. Let, let's move on to the Chicago Fire. Protesters this week are asking whoever is the mayor uh, come spring 
to put a halt on this $80 million soccer facility that's going to be built on the former Abla homes. Corley, can you catch us up on this? Yeah, for sure. So uh, the Coalition of, to Protect CHA Land met outside the hood offices Wednesday morning to request meetings with both Brandon Johnson and Paul Vallis to stop the agreement that life had made with uh, Chicago Fire owner Joe Mansuto. Um, the deal allows for 25 acres of public housing land to be used for a training facility that is like for like six soccer fields and on the near west side for the uh, Roosevelt Square project. City Council uh, approved the zone approval for the facility last year. It received a lot of pushback from activists because it's the formal home, formal site of Abla Public Housing. And uh, it was demolished like 22 years ago, promised to rebuild housing, but it has not been, been re- fulfilled. So um, yeah, it's received a lot of pushback and I'm hoping that both uh, Johnson and Valis sit down with the <clears throat> advocates to talk about this and see what they're going to do. Um, HUD kind of um, it's taking things a little bit slower because they life didn't win the runoff as they expected. They said they're going to make a decision this month, but it's looking like it could be uh, changing because of the transition of power. Yeah, we've been following this story. We had Mick Dumkey from ProPublica come here and you know, this is a, a long history uh, in Chicago from when the plan for transformation was announced in the early 2000s to now, in which thousands upon thousands of families were moved out of public housing with the promise that they would be able to return. But over the last 15 years, we've seen the Chicago Housing Authority consistently use that land for things other than housing, whether it's charter schools, whether it's a privately owned tennis academy, right? Tennis academy, police station, medical facility, production, supermarkets. Exact. Targets. Yes. And, And so people are mad and trying to hold the city accountable for these continued failures to to live up to the promises they made to these families. Unfortunately, when I read this story, I can't be optimistic because they're protesting, hoping that, you know, housing and urban development, right, the federal agency that helps to oversee policy around public housing, that they will step in. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, when you dig into the reporting, they have rubber stamped every single decision CHA has made over the last 15 years. Right. And they've been requesting this meeting with HUD since September. And he said they haven't heard anything back from them. I reached out to HUD and not receive a response. Uh, CHA did tell me um, pri- uh, prior to this that they uh, will be doing affordable housing as well as creating jobs for people in the community. But um, like I said, Abla. Um, the the uh, advocates that said only six percent of the housing has been returned to those people, and that ProPublica report that you mentioned it said that uh, Chicago needs like one hundred twenty thousand affordable units to house everyone in need. I think there's more than thirty thousand people on the CHA waiting list, so it's really concerning when you're trying to build a facility on land, and then we need public housing, affordable housing. Xavier, you know, you come from a community in which CHA land was used to bring something to the neighborhood that many residents did not want. Uh, and, and that's the the newest training facility over on the west side. What is it like to see these promises not only broken, but then that land immediately given to for profit entities? It's really it's, it's not just disheartening. It's enraging. Um, I want to be clear about that. You know, my family is celebrating 100 years in Chicago uh, this year, 1923 to 2023. Um, and coming from three generations of community organizers and developers, primarily in the black community, um, I've got an, an awareness of the patterns of practice that the city takes, that individuals take, that developers take, and that businesses take um, to systematically disenfranchise and divest specifically land from communities of color 
uh, to build some type of financial apparatus or recreational apparatus um, that mostly only people who don't look like us or don't have the type of economic class struggles that we have would utilize. Um, to your point, Corley, 6% of the people who had been taken from those homes, there's nearly 20,000 families, um, only 6% have been given uh, their, their, their legally required right to return um, into those housing mm-hmm. projects. This is about the ecosystem of land utilization players and buyers. Um, and that, that, that always systematically and disproportionately impacts to the negative communities of color. Yeah. And it's time that we stop trying to ask ourselves, how can we make money off of poor people and start saying, how can we return the money we took from them? How can we return the land we took from them? How can we return the opportunities we took from them? Mm-hmm. Are you self-conscious about your smile? Do you only allow yourself a closed mouth grin? Well, with Aligner Experts, there's no reason for you to diminish your smile. As orthodontists, they have the privilege of witnessing the remarkable transformation of patients' smiles, which often translates into a profound boost in their confidence. Yet, there always seems to be a deterrent. I ain't got the time, I don't have the funds. Luckily, Aligner Experts is redefining convenient and accessible clear aligner solutions. With customizable treatments, transparent pricing, and their cutting edge 3D scanners and dental monitoring technology, you can transform your smile through the convenience of your own schedule. Stop in at their West Loop or Lakeview Clinic today for your complimentary smile assessment. Aligner Experts, your destination for advanced clear aligner solutions. P.S. They got another clinic on the way, so stay tuned for their Old Town location. Every single week on CityCast Chicago, we want to make sure we're shining some light on some stories that might not get as much attention. Uh, This month, we're celebrating Women's History Month. This week, we celebrated International Women's Day. Corley, your underhyped story uh, looks at an initiative to make sure that women in the trades are supported in Chicago. Uh, Can you give us some more information? Yeah, so Chicago Women in Trades was one of seven recipients of Carhartt's um, For the Love of Labor initiative, uh, where they received uh, 225000 uh, among seven recipients. And Chicago Women in Trades provides true, free training to women in different trades, like welding, carpentry, and technical training. And so this round of grants they did uh, during Women's History Month is focused on placing women in skilled positions to diversify representation. Um, what I learned through my reporting with this is that it's really important because this industry is still dominated by white men uh, for Illinois, 77% of apprentices were white and only 12% were black. And for um, the nation, 73,000 were women where we have over 400,000 are men. So this is really important initiative. So I thought that was really cool. Yeah. Earlier this week, we were talking about some of the most beautiful places in Chicago. And one of the the places mentioned was uh, the St. Regis building, right? From Jeannie Gang, the the tallest building uh, designed by a woman in the world uh, and and one of the tallest buildings here in Chicago. And when I stare at that building, I just don't see this amazing feat of architecture. I see all of the things that have to go into making this possible, right? The electricians, the welders, the plumbers, the pipe fitters, the painters. uh, And to see this organization 
conversation, trying to make sure that we're not just building and allowing women to design buildings, but they're in on the process. Mm-hmm. How important do you think, Corley, is it to, to make sure we're reinstituting the access to the trades in our schools for, for all our young people? No, that's super important to me. I am one of the people that thinks that every high school needs to be a vocational school. Like, I don't understand why it isn't even be learning trades as early as possible because it doesn't take away the option to go to college. You're going to college with a trade. You're able to get a job and maintain and get money while you're learning. We'll drop some information for people who are not familiar with Chicago Women in Trades. They have a free 12-week training program that teaches women about all the different trade options available. Xavier, I want to move it over to you. This week, we had some reports coming out about the increased home ownership and even the ownership of two flats uh, and three flats across the city of Chicago amongst black and brown residents. And then break it down for us. You know, in America, home ownership is the foundation for wealth building. Um, and that's the first big point that I want to make clear. Um, when people are trying to find ways into the middle class or ways to build intergenerational wealth, housing is the number one way that they do that across the U.S. That is also true here in Chicago. However, historically, people of color, specifically black and Latine individuals, um, have not been the ones that are buying properties. They're not the ones who are owning the properties that they're in. They primarily constitute the renter class in the city of Chicago. Um, and so there's, there's a lot of organizations <clears throat> like neighborhood housing services and the resurrection projects and others that try to help black and brown folks get into these housing and home ownership opportunities. What we saw from 2019 to 2021, uh, actually the data just came out, was that blacks and Latinas were the largest uh, purchaser of uh, two to four flat uh, houses. What this means is that we're seeing more black and Latina folks saying, hey, I'm either going to live on one floor, rent out another floor, or I'm going to live on one floor and split the cost with a family member who's on a different floor. Yeah. You know, housing prices have skyrocketed. Um, property tax rates have skyrocketed in Chicago. Um, that means that people are splitting these costs more, knowing also that blacks and Latinas are the lowest wage earners in the entire city of Chicago. For example, the median income for a black household in Chicago is somewhere around $36,000 and has not changed much in its differential from white families in Chicago, whereas a white median income um, for a household here in Chicago is somewhere around $72,000. It's nearly double um, that of a black household. Um, Black folks need to be very uh, strategic with how they use their dollars, given that they don't have as many dollars, sometimes half as many dollars um, as a white household. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that they're starting to pool their money together and either investing or sharing within their families, that is a really good sign for the city of Chicago, um, for the solvency of these individual households of color. But we're all in a generation where we have so many friends who are looking to buy their first homes, looking to buy investment properties, or as you explained, Xavier, looking to split these costs with their communities Me too. Um, as they, they <laughs> try to buy up two and four flats. Mm-hmm. Many of these two and four flats are concentrated in places like Austin. That's right. Right. And Woodline and Garfield Park. Um, so it's good to see that along with this ownership, sort of comes a revitalization in these communities by members of the communities who live there. Every single episode of CityCast pretty much ends the same way. <laughs> Me begging you to sign up for our daily newsletter at chicago.citycast.fm. No, nah, I'm kidding. Uh, a little bit. Every single episode ends with some good news to get the loose listeners through the weekends. <laughs> Corley, what is your some good news for CityCast listeners? Yeah, so uh, this weekend, Saturday, uh, Chicago Headline Club's Foyer Fest 
where journalists learn about everything regarding the Freedom of Information Act. And um, that's where public agencies are required by law to release information that is requested. And I'll be moderating the panel on this and disinformation. So I'm excited about that. It's my first time. So I'm also nervous. But wish me luck, please. <laughs> For people who might not be familiar, why are these important to the work that you do every single day, but also to transparency uh, in government? It's important because of that reason alone, transparency. We want to provide this information to the public, information that is for them, that is available to them, but they, they may not know how to ask for it. They may not know how to get it. And so we get that information as uh, public officers, you know, mm-hmm. we are able to give that to people because that is our job to provide transparency and be, and make it easy for people to digest. Corley, good luck with your panel, G. Thank you so much. Xavier, what's your some good news? My good news is a personal thing uh, that is a felt experience some Chicagoans may not be aware of. So Chicago, for some of y'all may not who may not know, Chicago was really one of the meccas for poetry, spoken word, open mics, all those sorts of things, particularly in the 90s up through the uh, the early 2010s. Um, places like Lit X. A, a real Love Jones vibe. Look, Love Jones. I mean, a lot of, you know, the poetry was written in Love Jones, a movie, by a Chicago poet. Uh, Reggie Gibson. But it's been gone for a while. It's been gone for a while, quite honestly. And over the last year, since the pandemic sort of soft reopening started happening, um, I've been seeing so many more open mics coming back. And it's the folks who were like in their teens back in the, you know, in 1999 or, or 2005, you know, they were in their early 20s. Um, they're now starting to reopen some of these events, but it's happening in people's homes. Um, organizations and groups like the Gala, the Gala um, uh, Art Therapy that's run by uh, Lawrence Binky Tofri. I love Binky. Um, uh, poets that uh, have gotten on the national stage like Leslie Honore. Um, like th- there are so many more events around the spoken word scene that I think uh, are really important. Mm-hmm. Just seeing and hearing this and going to a couple of them, man, the vibe is so incredible in those spaces. It's so generative. It's so healing. It's so joyous. Um, it's so inclusive. Know that poetry and spoken word has often been the defining way that um, uh, the artists often say what is happening in Chicago. It's a way you can keep your pulse on what matters, particularly for communities of color. Um, I love seeing it. <laughs> Now, it's beautiful to see the open mic scene in Chicago. Like you said, whether it's poetry, whether it's karaoke, whether it's storytelling. Uh, yeah, it, it is such, I think, an underappreciated art form in Chicago because yep. we are spoiled here. We've got live theater and live music. Right. We, we've got so many different ways for people um, to enjoy themselves and be entertained. <laughs> exactly. But it's something about the open mic scene where it's it's not just accessible, uh, but it truly is a place for, for people to express themselves. Um this week, my some good news is a shout out to Joe Fresh Goods, who over the last few years has just, you know, kind of blown up onto the national scene with major uh, apparel and, and shoe partnerships with places like Adidas and New Balance. Uh, but Joe never forgets where he comes from and it always tries to provide opportunities for people uh, to, to get into what he's making. And so last week he was able to create a store uh, at a high school in Austin, Austin, uh, Michelle Clark High School. The students got a new in-school store where they can get uh, shoes. They can get black 
Blackhawks gear. They can get electronics, all for having good grades, doing community service work. And he said the idea came from when he was a kid. He always wanted like the sort of Richie Rich McDonald's in the school. Uh, and so to be able to provide something like this directly uh, to students who may not be able to get his merchandise outside of school, right? May not be able to to get the drops because that the gear is selling out faster and faster as his stock uh, grows. So it's just really cool to see you know, I don't think it's anything wrong with incentivizing uh, kids to, to to get better grades, right? I, I mean, right. Th- that's what got me through. I I wasn't getting them just for the for the hell of it. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I'm trying to get some shoes, right? Right, right. It, it's it's the new pizza party. Get them pizza parties popping. Get them shoes popping. Mm-hmm. I want to give a huge shout out to Xavier Ramey from Justice Informed and Crane Chicago reporter Corley J. Today we were breaking down the mayoral debate. We're talking about protesting a million dollar soccer facility and we showed some love to Joe Fresh Goods. I appreciate y'all showing love to CityCast Chicago. It means a lot to our entire team. Thanks, Jacob. Thanks for having me. Before I let you go, I want to thank everybody for listening to CityCast Chicago today. I also want to thank the people who make this show possible. That's lead producer Carrie Shepard, our newsletter editor, Sydney Madden, our producer joining us this week, a.k.a. Al Moomin. The music you love to listen to is from the homie Sam Thousand, all the kimonos, and Mark Greenberg from the Mayfair Workshop. If you enjoy the show as much as we love making it, please leave us a rating and review wherever you listen to the podcast. And I'm going to just remind you again, because almost every show ends the same way. If you are not subscribed to Hey Chicago, the best damn newsletter in this city, do it now. Sign up at chicago.citycast.fm. You'll get news, you'll get events, and you'll get Sydney Madden's hilarious jokes five days a week in your inbox at 6 a.m. You already know where I'm going to be on Monday. Hopefully you'll join me. Peace. Okay. Yeah. You're I do hear a little bit of like a a, a, a a black noise, like a white noise, like a feedback sort of a the, thing. It might be my um, it, I'm gonna mute real quick because it might be my fan. Do you hear it now? Oh, now it's that. Yeah. Nice carry for well, sure. It's it's it's, oh, it's okay. me. It's me. Guys, it's me. It's not you. It's me. Um, yeah, it's definitely me. But I'll be on mute. Image <laughs> letdowns. What'd you say? <laughs> <laughs> I'm from the west side, y'all. I'm a roach. Like, that's a hinge let down lane. <laughs> not you, it's me. Not you, it's me. Not you, it's me. It's not you, it's me. Um. <laughs>